Well, as we said, we're going to be over here in the book of Revelation tonight. If it gets a little warm, we can knock out one of these guys and just uh, move it on, on out. Um, it's already going above where we have it set for the heater, so it means that everything is being heated by these guys and uh, nothing by anything else. We were out playing hockey last night, and that wind made it feel like it was one of the coldest nights of the year. It was actually blowing the puck around. I actually changed course a few times. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was going to be about the same thing here tonight, so I thought we needed all, all of them going on. But if it does seem to be too warm, we can just get one outside. Just don't turn them off on the inside. We could. All right. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Let's read the first verse here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by the angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Well, it starts off here, the word... The, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which most people are familiar with this word. It is the word we get our, our English word from acopo, uh, <laughs> apocalypse. And anytime we think of apocalypse, you know, there's all those movies, the great apocalypse and things. Every time that you see a movie made about the apocalypse, what is it about? End of the world, destruction, doomsday, things blowing up, things being destroyed. Is pretty much what it, uh, what it all is. Well, the word here, revelation, the word apocalypse, does not mean destruction. It does not have that in its meaning at all. We have taken it as the meaning because the book of Revelation describes what is called the end of the world or the, the, the tribulation period and such things. But actually, all that it means is disclosure, appearing, coming, lighten, manifestation, be revealed, and revelation. It is actually, it is not the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. And what John is doing here is he is revealing the Jesus Christ that he came to know in this book. Now, John traveled with, with Jesus for three and a half years. John's most favorite name for himself was? The disciple whom Jesus loved. John was a very young man at the time that he was wandering with Jesus. Some estimate, you know, somewhere in his 20s but at that time. At the time that he was writing this, it may have been as much as 60 years later. John is the oldest of all the disciples. By the time he dies, everyone else is gone. He is the last. It is, the, you know, they. it's not that John had such great... Uh, um, it wasn't that he was not persecuted or that they didn't try to get him like they did the others. Uh, he just outlasted everybody else. I'm told that they tried to kill him, and since they couldn't, they put him out in the island of Patmos. And so they just figured if you're going out there, then that's, that's it, all that you would have to do. Now, the island of Patmos is uh, an island that you wouldn't swim off of. It's far enough away that that wouldn't happen. In fact, I believe it is far enough, uh, if you're on Facebook at all, if you're not on Facebook, you don't get these little tidbits. I keep telling you, get on Facebook and you'll get some of these little tidbits. But uh, Brother Tony Cook was just over and he took a bunch of people over to the, the region here. And he went through the different churches of the book of Revelation as, as well as some of the places that Paul had, had been. And he went over to the island of Patmos. 
and they had a, a sail o- overnight to get there, and then they uh, came back. They said apparently there were some rough seas. So it's far enough away that you don't, don't just row out to it. And there were some other little things that he put up there about it, and since you're not on Facebook, you probably don't care about those things, so we won't get into them. <clears throat> I keep telling you, it's easy enough to get onto. You get some wonderful revelation. Brother, Brother Rick Renner just put two videos up on there of teaching on the armor of God. If you're on Facebook, you got them. If you weren't, then you didn't. Because I don't think they're available anyplace else. They're just put up on there. But uh, you can get it. Also, if you were uh, on Facebook, you may not even be here tonight. Because uh, Brother Doug Jones put up on there that he's teaching over at Rhema at the same time we're having this service right here. And you might have stayed home and watched it. <laughs> uh, some people may have already done that. I keep uh, hoping that they have that uh, we can catch it later on. But he was put over there on the island of Patmos. Now, when they put them out here on the island of Patmos, they, they, there's no guards. There's no um, rules. There's no cells. They're just put on the island. And that's it, because there's no place you can go. It's, you're, you're on the island, and everybody there is pretty much a bad person, and they just all let them roam around. You have to find your own food. You have to find your own water. And many people didn't. And they died of, of uh, starvation, dehydration, and such things. Uh, John, we're told, actually got into a cave in the interior of the island somewhere. And that's where he made his, his abode. That's what we're told from the... Because, uh, of course, they, he came off the island later on. And the people that were... The guy that was with him and helping him out with some of these things um, wrote down some of the what happened. I don't know if they were supernaturally fed or watered or anything like that. I didn't hear any, anything along those lines, but... That's what we do know about, about John and this island. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Now, this was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? But you all know what time is for God. When you've been alive forever, when billions of years doesn't even tap into your history, it's kind of hard to think that 2,000 years really means anything to you as far as time is concerned. Especially, as we told you before, you look at the book of Revelation and seven years transpires and it doesn't seem like it's more than an afternoon. And in heaven it may not have been. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So this revelation is coming from Jesus Christ to an angel delivered to John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So John is bearing witness on the guy who traveled with Jesus. I saw these things. He says in verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, if you listen to the people of the church today, what is the most ignored book of the Bible? I would say Ecclesiastes. I don't know too many people who rave about, oh, I was reading in Ecclesiastes today and I got bl- <laughs> I don't, I don't know too much about that. I think Job would be up there because most of the book is not stuff that we, uh, you know, it's inform- informative and, but it's not stuff that you meditate on a whole lot. Uh, it's, 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 it's there, you know, it gives us some insight into some things, but it's not a book that you necessarily go back to a whole lot. Lamentations? Hmm. You know, it's, uh, I mean, they're there, we've, we've read them, we understand the things that are in there, and, and I would probably rank some of those, might be personally, I would rank them ab- above these. But it seems like an awful lot of people ignore the book of Revelation. 
which is unusual because the book of Revelation has nothing to do with any of those other books. There's no uh, doom. There's no uh, woe is me, any of that sort of thing. It's a, a book of prophecy. It's a book of things that are to come. It's a book of hope telling us that, all right, as bad as things get, God is coming and he's going to restore things into a whole different world. But it is ignored because most people think that the book of Revelation is the most difficult book to understand. You've heard me say it a number of times. I say it because I believe it. It is the easiest book in the Bible to read, understand, and comprehend. There is no easier book. This is the easiest. Paul's writings are difficult sometimes because there's some very deep teachings. Some of the things Jesus has taught, we're still trying to scratch. We're still scratching our heads over trying to figure them out. Some of the things that were depicted in his, in his uh, miracles, we haven't quite gotten all those things just yet. But the book of Revelation... It's just, here's what's happening. Here it is. And you can understand that. It's not hard. But it does take some people with some great PhDs to be able to mess this book up, and they certainly have. They've made people think that it's very hard to understand, very difficult, that it's all very figurative. It's not figurative at all. It is a very literal book. It comes out with, uh, this is what's happening. And uh, it just is taking place. It's the only book that's written in heaven. All the other books are written here on the earth. This is the only book written in heaven. Now, the first couple of chapters are written here on the earth, but the rest of them, he's called up into heaven and he is given, he sees it from heaven's point of view. Only book that's done that way, so it's the only book that's done on God's timetable and it's not linear. And so, as long as you understand that, the book is not hard to understand. And it is something that we're supposed to be doing. But here he says this, and now he's not talking about the Bible here because there is no Bible. There's a lot of, well, there's the Old Testament, there's the Pentateuch, there are the prophets, uh, there's some uh, writings, probably at this point, all the disciples had, had written their, their works and they were circulating around, but there was no uh, canonized Bible just yet. So he's not referring to a canonized Bible or a, uh, a reading that way. He's talking about this particular book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it. So there's three parts to this. You have to read it, hear it, or understand it, and keep it. It does us no good to read the Bible if you don't also understand it. There are people out there who have read the Bible, but they don't understand it. And they, they become critics of it. They become this, but they don't understand it. They, they don't know what it is. They, they've read it. Just think of it this way. How many of those people that are in Congress, like Nancy Pelosi, who say they have read the Constitution, but they obviously don't understand it because they couldn't do some of the things that they would be doing if they understood it? That's just, you just couldn't do it. So they've read it, but they don't have an understanding of it. And they are not keepers of it. They look to violate it every opportunity that they can. But what God is saying is, you need to read the words of this book you need to understand the words of this book and you need to keep them. If you read the words of this book, if you understand the words of this book, and if you keep the words of this book, you will be what? Blessed. So if you were the devil, what would you try and do? Keep people from reading this book. Keep them from the notion that they can understand this book and thereby the people, if they don't read and they don't understand, cannot Keep the words of this book and you keep them from being blessed. That's the tactics of the enemy. And the church has fallen right into it. We shouldn't be doing it. 
Blessed is he who reads the words of this book, hears or understands the words of this book, and keeps them. We need to have all three of those things going. You need to do all three. Blessed, the blessing is on those who do all three. So this book, the Revelation, should not be ignored. It is to be read, understood, and affect what we do. It goes on, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So first off, he's, he's given a, a blessing of grace here. To you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Who is that? No, Jesus is later on down in here. It is God the Father. God the Father. And then from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. You can't say and from Jesus Christ if the first one was Jesus. <laughs> right? So what he's basically doing is including the Trinity here. We got the Father and we got the Son. So the guy in the middle must be the Holy Spirit. But it says the seven spirits who are before his throne. How many spirits does God have? He has one spirit. So what's it mean here by seven, seven spirits? Well, one thing it could be is that the, the number seven always represents, the, uh, represents completion or perfection. God's per perfection. And uh, understand, when you get into the book of, of Revelation, and the most famous number in the book of Revelation is six, six, six. That's the most famous number in the book of Revelation. That's what most, most, most people know about. 666 is simply, uh, I mean, we're always trying to figure out, you know, who adds up to 666 and so forth and things like that. It could just be representative of six is the number of man's perfection. And it is the trinity of man's perfection, which is a trinity which the Satan does try and copy in the book of Revelation. When we have the Antichrist, when we have Satan who is behind him, and the prophet of the Antichrist. You've got a trinity going on there. Trinity of man's perfection. As good as this is as good as man can do. Basically is what it is. That may simply just be what the, all that is. What well, we'll find out when it when it comes there. God is a master of not giving the enemy any more information than he needs to. Because understand the devil reads the book this book too. You know that because what did he come at Jesus with? Came out him with the word. So the devil reads this. And if the the Lord revealed everything to him plainly. He could, he could certainly get out there and make it tough to do some of those things. I don't know that he could stop God, but he would sure give it a shot. But even still, God had plans, and even though he prophesied about them in the Old Testament, they were, they were a mystery. They weren't revealed. Until Paul came along, he says the church was a mystery. It was all told about in there, but no one saw it. It wasn't revealed. But I'm here. God has revealed it to me now, and I'll show you the church in the Old Testament. And he did. So one thing it could be is just the, simply the number of completion representing the completeness of the Spirit of God. Or we can go back over to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. That reads, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, that is David, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the rod that comes from the stem of Jesse, the stem of Jesse is David, the the rod that comes from David is the Lord Jesus Christ would be the rod that comes from that. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon who? Jesus. Didn't the spirit of the Lord come upon Jesus? He sure did. 
And look at what he says. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So you have the spirit of the Lord. That's one. You have the spirit of wisdom. That's two. You have the spirit of understanding. That's three. You have the spirit of counsel. That's four. You have the spirit of might. That is five. You have the spirit of knowledge. That is six. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That is seven. Seven aspects of the spirit of the Lord coming from Isaiah. It could very well with that. That's what that means. Now, look at this. We have the spirit of the Lord because he is the spirit of the Lord. Secondly, you have the spirit of wisdom. One of the ways that the spirit of the Lord manifests himself is wisdom. When Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, what did he excel in? One of the things. Wisdom. It comes up with the spirit of understanding. Did not Jesus manifest himself with great understanding? That's what the spirit came to do. The spirit of counsel. The spirit of advice. Uh, when Jesus gave counsel in a situation, I mean, Jesus said, there, wow. When Solomon gave counsel, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, people said, wow. I mean, that's something else. The, the Spirit of might. The Spirit comes upon us with, the, with, with strength and with might is, a, is another thing. We saw that with Samson. We saw that even in the ministry of Jesus. The Spirit of knowledge. There is a knowledge of God. He is the revealer of the knowledge of God. He's the revealer. The, one of the words, or one of the aspects of Jesus talks about the spirit. He is the giver of truth, the revealer of truth. He will come and he will bring knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. What does the word of God say is the beginning? Uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so he comes and he gives the fear, the awe, the respect of the Lord. That comes from the Spirit of God. How many people do you see that don't have the Spirit of God, have no fear of the Lord, have no respect for it? Say things that you say, oh, you don't know what you're saying. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon people, these are the things that, that happen. Now, think about it this way. You've been in church services before. You've been in places where people say, oh, the Spirit of God was here. You've been in places where you say, oh, the Spirit of God, I don't really feel Him here at all. What tells you that the Spirit of the Lord is present? How many times, and I'm not saying anybody here, but how many times have you been around Christians who feel that when they get goosebumps, that's the Spirit of God? <laughs> Goosebump Christians. That's, that's it. When people begin to shout out, they make a lot of noise. Oh, the Spirit of God must be here. Have you heard that one before? When people act in a disorderly way, bringing forth uh, words of, of knowledge, and, and uh, prophecies and so forth. What do people say about that? Oh, the Spirit of God was here. Don't they? I mean, not, not you folks. I'm just talking about other people and Christians that are there. But here's, if the seven aspects of the Spirit of God, if these are, are it, that's none of those. That's the Spirit of flesh that shows up and passes it off as Spirit of God. If you want to see where the Spirit of the Lord is, where is their wisdom? Where is their understanding? Where is their counsel? Where is their might? Where is their knowledge? Where is the fear of the Lord? When the Spirit of the Lord is present, these things will move. And that will show you the presence of God. So, just put that question in there for you. What tells you that the Spirit of the Lord is moving? So he says, grace to you from he who was and is and is to come, from the seven spirits and from Jesus Christ. And then we go on to a Wonderful little description of who Jesus is. Let's get on back over here. Verse uh, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that's one thing he is, the firstborn from the dead. We know that the word of God called him 
Jesus was the first one to ever be born again. The firstborn, the, the, the first resurrected one. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one who got his resurrected body. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins. In his own blood. And has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth were mourned because of him. Even so, amen. Now, how many people have ever heard that, and there's other places in the scripture to talk about this as well, that when Jesus comes, he will come in a cloud. And there have been some churches, I mean, it's just kind of comical, some people's understanding of the end times, that um, whenever it's a cloudy day, people say, oh, well, cheer up. This could be that the Lord Jesus returns. Well, you know what? If it's cloudy here, somewhere it's not. Right? It's not cloudy all over the whole earth ever, ever since the flood. Used to be that way. But ever since the flood, it's never cloudy all over the face of the earth. I'm told that Aruba doesn't ever have a cloudy day. I don't know if that's true. I've never been there. But that's not what it is. When he comes, he will descend with his own cloud. There don't need to be clouds here on the earth. He's going to bring his own. Behold, he is coming with clouds. So whatever the clouds are, he's coming with them. <laughs> he's bringing his own clouds. Bring your own clouds. Just uh, BYOC. And every eye will see him. How is it that, it's, that one thing can happen in the skies and every eye would see him? That just doesn't seem to be physically possible. But we, don't, we have to understand our Lord. He's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. Even though they who pierced him. Well, they may not be alive on the face of the earth at the time, but they would still see him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him even so. So he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. This is not speaking of the rapture. Because in the rapture, no one sees him but the church that is being raptured. No one else sees anything. We just go. But in the second advent, everyone will see him. For some, it will be joyful. And some, not so much. There will be mourning. There will be tears for them. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. Well, no matter who you get to, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, or God the Son, they always were, they always will be, they always will be, they're, they're always here. Who was, who is, and who is to come. That describes Jesus, that describes God, that describes the Holy Spirit. But in our first part, we know that he's talking about God. That was the attribute of God. We had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all represented there for us. All right, we got through all verse 8. Let's pick up verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island and is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, John could have been describing himself a whole lot better if he wanted to. I, John, the only living disciple. He could have been saying that. He didn't say that. 
I mean, this is the guy who described himself as the one whom Jesus loved, right? But he didn't say that. The only remaining disciple, the only one left who walked with God. He didn't do all that. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom, not the tribulation, but the tribulation they were going through, in kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he was imprisoned. That's why he's on the, Pat- the island of Patmos was because of these things. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What is the Lord's day? Of course, this, is the, this ignites all sorts of debates. You know, everybody's trying to decide, you know, what day we should celebrate the Lord's day and why do we have church on Sunday? They always had church on Saturday. That was the Sabbath day. <clears throat> well, Saturday is, is, is the Sabbath day. It is not the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the day that he was resurrected, which was Sunday. That's the Lord's day. That's why they, that's why most people anyway think that worship was switched from Saturday to Sunday was because it was the day that the Lord resurrected. More than likely, that's what it was. I've heard people try and say, well, it was done for, for farmers and such things like that. But I don't know. If I was a farmer, I think I had the same chores on Saturday that I do on Sunday. I don't think it changes any. You know, the, the same animals have to be fed and cared for and same fields got to be taken care of, whatever it might be. I, John, your brother, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom of patience, <clears throat> kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet. I have heard voices described all kinds of ways. Never heard a voice described as a trumpet. Have you ever heard a voice that you would describe? Boy, that was just like a trumpet. Never. Of course, we've never heard Jesus Christ's voice either in heaven. This would be something. But there's a whole lot to be seen in this, in this little passage right here. The voice was saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That's a common thing that, or uh, name that Jesus has taken on the beginning, and I am the end. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, I'm told that the great construction here is of such that when you turned, it's not just a casual turning to see what the noise was, but a sudden startling turn because something grabbed your attention. What is it that would have grabbed his attention? Remember, John traveled with Jesus. It has been some 60 years since he's seen him. And this will be the first time in 60 years or so that he heard his voice. Because his voice was still the same. If you suddenly heard a voice that was familiar to you coming behind you, how would you turn around? You would be startled. You would be glad. You would be turning around like, I know that. And you turn around. But what you're going to see is not the Jesus that you, come, you came to know. John came to know a Jesus that he walked with, that he leaned on his breast, as it said, and uh, one that he, he, he felt very, very comfortable with, one he felt very at home with. And now all of a sudden, he's going to turn around, he's going to see a Jesus that is totally different from the Jesus he knew. 
Look at how it describes him. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Isn't that what Jesus commonly called himself? He said, one like the Son of Man. Who better to know what the Son of Man looked like than, than John? So he says, all right, he looked like the Son of Man. He looked like Jesus. <laughs> I'm looking at him and says, that looks like Jesus, but not exactly. There's a little bit, there's a few differences. Let's take a look at some of the differences. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. I am told that people that are in rulership in this time of the, uh, uh, they, they took these golden bands and they put them around their chest. The higher up the golden band, the more authority you had. His is all the way up to his chest. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, necessarily what they're getting at in here, but uh, certainly the, the um, clothing was that of a high priest. As far as the John was concerned, what he was, what he was seeing. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Before he said his voice was the sound of a trumpet. Now it's described as the sound of many waters. Have you ever heard the sound of many waters? Go to like Niagara Falls. Go to a place like that. That'll be the sound of mighty waters. It's, it's, it's an incredible sound. I, I get mesmerized. I love the sound of waterfalls. I don't just mean gently, gentle cresting, you know, waterfalls that just kind of gently fall. I mean crashing ones. I love those kind of ones. I like to get near them. I like to get, I like to get right on top. Have you been in over to, I mean, we know we're here. We don't have a whole lot, but we've got one. Have you been over to the, um, Bushko Falls? It's not a whole lot, but you know, it's what we got over here. And you, but they put a bridge and on that bridge, you can be right over top of this little, this gorge that's just rushing down with water. And that's, that's about the best we got around here. I know there's better places, other, 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 uh, directions but i i love going up on those things you know the 10 biggest waterfalls in the country and i go there and i look at all the pictures i look at all the videos uh, that, that i can uh, just to to catch these things you know yosemite park has a wonderful very high i don't know how much water comes out of it i know it varies different times but uh, my sister would tell me some of the things that would go on with the waterfall when they were there. And as the snow would melt, the water would become more rushing. As the snow melts would uh, decrease, there wouldn't be as, as much. But, oh, just to see that awesome power of, of all that water just rushing down. on mm, Victoria Falls, that's down in uh, South America, I think it is. That's supposed to be spectacular and just noisy as anything. And... Um, I heard uh, it said that people who lived near Niagara Falls, there was one time they actually stopped up the Niagara Falls because they were trying to clean out the boulders and a lot of things that were down there at the bottom. So they stopped it up. I don't know what they do with all that water. I, I Don't ask me that. I don't know what they could have possibly done with it. But anyway, it, um, it stopped the falls. And the people around there had a hard time getting to sleep because, you know, you just turned off all that noise. Hmm. That would be... That would be something else. But it's a powerful sound. He said it was like that. didn't say it was it. It just said it, it reminded him of these things. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. 
that's uh, not, the, not the Jesus that John came to know. When John knew him, he didn't have a sword. He didn't have hair that was white like wool, white as snow. He didn't have eyes that were like a flame of fire. He didn't have these things. This is different, but I want to take you on back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Sounds like that's a pretty similar description. And that's in the Old Testament. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with... Remember, isn't that how John described him? He is like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. His came, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him who was given dominion and glory and the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel is seen into the future, and John is describing what he saw. Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, His body was like beryl, his face the appearing of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. (laughs) I think it is astounding that Daniel in his day describes what he saw in the future the same way that John described what he saw. So similar. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. There's something, there's something about the seven stars. And remind me the next time we get in. We're not going to be into this next week, I don't believe. But remind me the next time we get into this to get into the seven stars. <clears throat> and he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how out of your mouth you have a sharp two-edged sword, but that's how he described it. We know that the word is described as a two-edged sword, and the word is spoken. And it could just be relationship to that. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Did John ever fall at Jesus' feet as dead when he was here? No, because when Jesus came on this earth, he laid this aside. He put all this aside, and he took on the appearance of a man. But when he went back up to heaven, he picked it back up again. (laughs) Yes, John, you didn't see me with all this, but I put all this aside. When Jesus said he laid aside his divinity, he laid aside all his, this is what he laid aside. And now John is seeing it. And John, who knows Jesus, who laid on his chest at dinner time, who called him very nonchalant, I'm the one that he loves. And now he just sees him and he falls at his feet like a dead man. Whew. Wow. But he laid his right hand on me. Right hand is always the symbol of strength and rulership. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. In other words, don't be afraid, John. I'm still Jesus. I'm still him. How often does Jesus come up to people and say, Don't be afraid? Remember the story we were just looking at? 
Jarius, he gets the report. And what's Jesus say? Don't be afraid. It says that John, who's seen his awesome sight in front of him, don't be afraid. That means no matter how glorious this spectacle or how terrifying as in the death of your daughter, we have no need to be afraid. No matter how wonderful or how awful the experience, the response from Jesus is always this. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I live forevermore. What a way to describe yourself. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. <laughs> so, I mean, get this. I was alive. Or I, I'm sorry, I did that. I am alive. I did die. I'm still alive. It's <laughs> basically what he's saying. I am he who lives. I am the one who came and lived among you. I did die. He never brings up a beginning. He doesn't say, I am he who lived. I am he who came to life. It's always in the present tense. I am he who lives. I'm the one who walked with you. I'm the one who was here on the earth and was dead. That was, that was past tense. I did die. He does not say, I didn't die. But he never brings the living to a cessation. I am he who lives. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have the keys to the internal punishment. I have the keys of death. The last enemy to put, be put underfoot is death. He's got the keys. He hasn't put it down yet, but he's got the keys. He's going to put it down, but not just yet. If he puts it down, if he puts death down already, there's a whole lot of people who can't be redeemed. So it's not time yet. There will be time, but not just yet. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. Now, he just gave the outline of the book of Revelation right there. The things which you have seen, chapter 1. The things which are, chapter 2 and 3. That's the churches. And the things which will take place, the rest of it. He just gave you the whole outline of Revelation. The things which you have seen, all this stuff that just happened, write it down. The things which are, that's the seven churches. They are. They're in existence, and we're going to write some things to them. The things which will take place, that is what's, what is to come. That is what's ahead in the future. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the, seven, are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. We're going to get more into this later on. But the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word there for angels is, does not mean 
angelic being. The word there for angels is the same word that is always used for angels, which is the word that means messenger. Whether it is an angelic messenger or whether it is a human messenger depends on the context. But the same word would be used for both. So what he's saying is it is not a particular angel that is over the church. He is talking about the messenger for a particular church. Who is the messenger for the church of Ephesus? The person at the time who's the pastor. If that still is Timothy, then it would be Timothy. He would be the messenger. If God has a message to bring to the church of Ephesus, who does he go to? He goes to Timothy or whoever it is that's pastoring at the time. And he, he delivers the message to them. Same thing with Thyatira. Same thing with Pergamos. Same thing with Laodicea. If there is a message to be delivered, God comes to the messenger of the church, who is the pastor. So this is what you've got to be real careful with some of these people that are out there. And, you know, they, they infiltrate churches. They're out there. They infiltrate churches. And once they get in and they get comfortable, suddenly God is delivering messages to the church through them. Why is it that he bypassed the pastor? Now, I'm not saying that the pastor gets all the, all the news. There's certain things. But what happens is these people, we're not talking about anybody in this church. Please understand that. But other churches, I've seen them. And they come on in, they get themselves established, and all of a sudden they start working with a few people here and there. Well, the pastor's not getting the message from God, but God gave me the message, and we need to spread this to the church. It's always underhanded. You know who that reminds me of? Absalom. And people fall into it, and people go that way. I understand that the, the pastor is not the, he does not have all the wisdom and knowledge, but God's not going to bypass them or have to work around him. Otherwise, if that's the case, guess what? God will remove him. And he will. He knows how to remove him. I was just, we were just listening to a message of Brother Hagin that he was uh, doing. He was in a church, and uh, uh, this particular pastor didn't believe the things that Brother Hagin would go around and teach. And he knew he didn't believe it. But he got an invitation from this pastor to come out to his church, and he didn't want to go. And the Lord said, no, he felt the leading of the Lord, you need to go. He said, that pastor is going to die. But he doesn't have to. You need to tell him. If he said, if he, the word he actually got was, if he would sit in the morning meetings as you go over some of these things, he, will, he, he would live. He wouldn't die. If he'll, if he'll listen to those things and, and learn them. And so um, he was there for three weeks. Came on out. They did long meetings then. They didn't do four or five days. They did two, three, four-week meetings when they had them go on. Uh, five days a week, sometimes take two days off, but <clears throat> that's what they would, that's how they had the meeting. So he was there for three weeks and he was teaching and he kept trying to get the pastor to come on out in the morning. This is his meetings, but the pastor wouldn't come out in the morning. The pastor had a big church. He had a TV show or a radio show. Or he had a bunch of, a lot of things to do. He was always doing those and he, he wouldn't come out to the meeting. And, uh, so he kept talking to him some. He wouldn't listen. And his wife came to him, came to Brother Hagin and says, will you, uh, will you talk to my husband about coming out to the meetings? He says, uh, well, yeah, I guess I can, you know, try and do that. But what is it? What does you have in mind? And she says, well, I just think he really needs to be out there. And he kept pressing, you know, to find out. He says, well, I just feel like in my spirit he's going to die. He didn't tell anything about it. But uh, so he went to the to the pastor and he tried to step it up. But the pastor was always busy getting to the end. You know, that's just like uh, 
two days left of the meetings. And so he got real, real frank with them. And he, he talked to them. And he just wouldn't come out. He wouldn't come out to the things at all. And so finally he says, um, the Spirit of the Lord, or I think he said it that way, or he just uh, said, do you know you're going to die? And the pastor said, I know. You, you know you're going to die? I know. It's just, I just know because there's, there's a thing on the inside of me that keeps coming up. He says, but you know you don't have to. The Lord told me to come out here because he wanted me to teach these things. And if you would have come out to the day meetings that you would learn these things. And, and, and the man said this. He said, if I came out to the, to the morning meetings and I said, I'm sure that what you're, you're teaching is true. He said, I would have to acknowledge that I was wrong. And I would rather die than do that. Uh, that's something else, isn't it? And he said it was just like a, 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 a brother Hagin said. I'm not sure if it was right then or just shortly after that. Came up in his spirit, real strong. He said he'll he'll drop dead in his pulpit a week Sunday. And he ended those meetings on uh, during the week. I think on a Friday he was due to two days to, to start up services someplace else. And a week from that Sunday, he was in his pulpit preaching and fell over dead. That's not good. God has a way of dealing with his messengers. If they get wrong, uh, he has a way of doing it. But uh, there are some people out there in the body of Christ who like to do like those folks did with Moses. Come in from the back door. Come in around and, 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 and get people to rise up. That's not the way to do it. What he's telling us here is there's a messenger. That messenger is one that God deals with. We need to be careful. We need to listen to it. We need to hear those things that they, they have to say. We need to be teachable. Brother Hagin was telling all that, all that to say that um, he always remained teachable. He said he would bring out these, uh, all these different people. I think they had four people coming out over the course of the year, average. And so he was going over how many different people that was over the 11, 12 years that he was pastoring. And he said, uh, out of all those, he said, I didn't agree with any single one of them, 100%. Not a single one. And he said, now some of them, he said, uh, I, I, I learned that they were right. And some of them, I still feel like I was right yeah, on that. But he said, uh, you have to always be teachable. You have to always be, be learning. You have to be receiving. If you ever get to a place where you stop receiving from other people, it would be bad, bad news. That's why it's important for all of us, me included. I make sure, like I told you, I make sure I listen to more word than you all do. I guarantee you I beat every single one of you. I make sure of it. Because I'm going to be listening to folks. I want to, I want to make making sure that we stay, we stay on, that we, we go in the right direction, and that there are important things that we do. Be listening. Be teachable. Be, be ready. God has you as a messenger in, in places. There are messengers that you are. We're messengers for our family. We're messengers for our friends. God can give us a message that he wants us to bring to people. But you've got to be in a place to hear it. Be in a place to hear it. And then when you present it, as the Word of God tells us, you present it in such a way and knowing that if it's a word of correction, you make sure you present it in such a way that, hey, I could fall too. Don't present messages like that in a way that, well, I'm better than you are. That's just not the way to go. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. He basically says this later on. If the messenger isn't going to listen, he'll remove the messenger. He'll change the messenger out. If the church won't listen, he'll remove the lampstand. Now, this 
he is walking around in this this area, these seven churches. There's not only not only seven churches on the earth, but in this particular book, there's seven that we're dealing with. These guys are all in the region that we call Turkey. That's where all these seven churches are, the region we call Turkey. Some of those lampstands have been removed. Some of them are going away. If the church won't do what they're supposed to be doing, their lampstand will be removed and it will go away. We are to be a messenger to the world. We are to stand up and we are to take what the Word of God says and to do it. In this day and age, we're seeing a whole lot of uh, external influence on churches. And I don't just mean, you know, full gospel churches, but all kinds of churches. And we need to resist it. I heard people talking. There was news people who were talking. I didn't listen to them. I heard them played uh, for me. And that uh, when they were going through the new pope selection and picking out a new, a new uh, guy for that, that people on the news were actually talking about that the Catholic Church needed to modernize. That they needed to pick someone who was favorable towards homosexual marriage, gay rights, abortion. Now, I was listening to this, and um, you know, my favorite guy, Rush Limbaugh, was the one who was playing a lot of these clips. And he was even telling them, it is not, this is, this is in the words of Rush, it is not the church's job to line up with you. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? It's not the church's job to line up with you. He said, you either line up with the church or you go find another one that you can line up with. And that's that's so right. That's absolutely right. It's not the church's job to line up with what people think is moral. It's the church's job to determine what is moral and to stay with it. Whether people like it or not, we're to be that messenger. That there would be a lot of pressure to be born on that. I heard some things, of, I'm not real into the, uh, pope and the Catholic Church and stuff like that, but I heard that there was um, a lot of pressure on the old Pope, and that's one of the reasons why he quit, to change, to uh, compromise on some things. And uh, uh, from what I heard, I heard from, from one person who was inside the Catholic Church, to what degree, I don't know, and to what authority they said this, I don't know. But they did say that um, somehow a threat strong enough was made that he felt like he needed to go. And uh, they were at that point, they were concerned they were going to pick somebody who would be more uh, willing to compromise. Well, the guy they picked apparently is just as willing not to compromise as the one before him. He apparently is pretty strong on that. So they didn't get their, their wishes. <laughs> and uh, from what I understand, he's a very conservative uh, uh, on, the, on his doctrine. And he uh, has no intentions on uh, legalizing, as far as the church is concerned, abortion or or marriage, but there is a whole lot of pressure to to be brought to bear. And uh, when the when our president stands up and tries to put pressure on churches to do things, he is not the messenger. Oh, did she ever do an about face? Yeah, and just uh, well, even just you know, a few years ago, the, our president himself was against, and uh, they yeah, totally turned around. And Biden was the one who got him onto onto that thing, uh, but Hillary was very much against it and now has completely come a... Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's just not the, the way to go. Yeah. The people that scare the folks in this country are the people in the political circles who won't change, who won't compromise. Not party, but who won't compromise on their beliefs and they come after those. 
and there have been some they've uh, targeted and they got out. Alan West was one they targeted out in uh, Florida and got rid of him. Alan West was one, yeah. Uh, I hope he runs again. I liked what he did. Senator Cruz is one of the newcomers in there and has totally turned the place around. But he's a guy who will stand for some values. Our guy we had out here, Rick Santorum, would not compromise and would not change. And so the Democratic Party targeted him. I'm not saying this about all Democrats. I'm telling you that the leaders of the Democratic Party are as anti-God as can be found. The leaders, not the people who vote Democratic, not the people that, that make up the party. I'm talking about the leaders of it. The Republican Party leaders are not too far behind them. They're not as, as compromised as them, but they're not far behind them. And the leaders of the Republican Party are scared and frustrated and angry at those who go by the name of the Tea Party who are forcing the party to be moral. And the battle is heating up enough that a third party may branch off. It could, it could come to that. But uh, just understand that leaders of the Republican Party are maybe a little bit better, but not much. They're not much. And we're talking the leaders of the party. We're not talking about the people who make up the party. We're talking about the leaders of the party. The Democrat leaders of the party are as anti-God as you can possibly get. As far as leaders, they're just... Oh, if, you, if you could see some of the things these guys write, say, and do that's not always brought out into the news media. It's, it, it just is, is shocking. And the Republicans are out there trying to rebrand themselves instead of just going with what the, the, they need to do and then staying with who they, the, the party was founded to be. But anyway, that's just a, another little thing. But we are messengers. We are not to compromise our message. If we compromise our message, we as messengers will be removed or we as a lampstand will be removed. We need to know what the Word of God says, do what the Word of God says, hold to what the Word of God says, no matter who it is that comes against it or doesn't like it. Now, let's pray on this. Father, we just thank you for the help that you give us to stand firm. We have a message. That message comes from your word. And we are to stand on your word. We are not to change it. We are not to compromise it. We are not to decide what parts of it are right, what parts of it we should stick with. We are to understand it completely and to stay with it. The majority of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Things that help us Stand for our message. Father, I thank you for that we are your messengers into this world. And we'll always keep evaluating to make sure that the message we bring is the one that compares to your word and not one that compares with our ideals or has been compromised by the, wor by the world around us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.